The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this evening comes from 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know you ought to (laughs) imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not that we do because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Amen, amen. Well, hey, citizens, it is good to be with you uh, this evening. If we haven't met before, my name is Tim. I get the privilege of of serving as pastor here uh, at Citizens. We exist to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. Hopefully you saw that uh, on the banner when you walked in, but that's our mission statement. It drives uh, everything we say and do uh, and believe as a, a church. I uh, got back earlier this morning from our community group uh, retreat, uh, which means two things. One, I'm very, very tired. Uh, I stayed up past midnight for the last two nights, which I have not done, I think, since I was like 23 and working in college ministry. Uh, and so I'm tired. Uh, but also, I am just feeling rejuvenated in a, in a different way. You know what I mean? Like that physical, I just want to take a nap. But the spiritual, man, the Lord is kind and he's good. And we just had a blast in the mountains of North Carolina uh, for a weekend with our group. Uh, so if you are in a community group and you have a retreat coming up, I hope that you've made that a priority to go to that. Rearrange your schedule. Go on the retreat. I promise it'll be worth it. If you're not in a group, get in a group and then go on the retreat. It's that, it's that simple. Uh, but this is something we're doing this summer uh, all of our groups going on retreat uh, to get to build relationships together, to get away uh, out of the hustle and bustle of Charlotte for a little bit and get to seek the Lord together and make memories and all that fun stuff. And so uh, all that being said, pray for me as we get into God's word together. Second Thessalonians 3, that's where we're going to be tonight, Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Let me pray for us and then let's talk about Jesus. God, thank you so much uh, for who you are. God, thank you that, as Sebastian just said, this is not a show. We're not here to consume. God, we're here to, to gather and to worship you. And you're king. You rule. You reign. You are supreme and preeminent over all things. And so, God, I pray that will be true tonight as we think about our work, as we talk about our vocation, as we think about our labor. God, all of this, God, would you be first and foremost in our hearts? We need you. We need the cross. We need the empty tomb. God, would you be near to us? We love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me set us up before we get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 
three. So week one of our series on work, we introduced this idea that all of us put our work into one of two stories. So either we are in the crowd that uh, live to work, which Cole talked about a ton last week. So we uh, make a God out of our work. We look to our job, our vocation, our labor. Even if we don't work a nine to five, whatever our responsibilities are, we look to that to be all sufficient in our lives to give us meaning, identity, value, purpose, significance, worth, all of that. And so Cole pushed in on that last week and said, hey, work is a gift, but it is not God. That you are looking for it to give you all the things that God offers you through the person and work of Jesus. Identity, value, forgiveness, meaning, belonging, all of that. But this week, I want to talk to the other side of the coin, which is those of us who don't live to work, but rather work to live. If I believed in cheesy sermon titles, I would say those of us who work is not an idol, but rather we are idol at work. But I'm done. Those of us who maybe say, okay, I'm, work's not my God, it's not what I worship, but rather I'm just trying to get by. Like I'm showing up to my nine to five, I'm doing the minimal amount of work that I have to do to not get fired so I can check out at five o'clock or I can check out when my kids finally go to sleep and then I can actually get to living my life. Those of us who work for the weekend, who just try to, okay, this is what I have to do to pay the bills and fund all of the actual living that I want to do when I'm not at work. I want to speak to those of us who work to live. If I can share some comedic irony, this was me on Thursday afternoon while trying to finish the sermon. Thursday is my Friday. I work a Sunday to Thursday work week. And so here I am Friday afternoon about two o'clock sitting in my office. And all I want to do is call the sermon good enough, go take a nap and head to the mountains with my community group. Thinking about and pushing into what really is, is a kind of theme of my life. Cole and I were talking about how it's funny that he preached on what seems to be his temptation and his tendencies. And I have to do the same. I have to preach on my default, which is not live to work, but work to live. I like hobbies. I pride myself on the number of hobbies that I enjoy. I like to get away from work, to enjoy, to be human, to rest, to have relaxation and recreation and all of that kind of stuff. But if I'm not careful, and if you're like me and you're not careful, then we can hear last week's sermon and we can get a little bit puffed up. We can get a little bit prideful. We can begin to think, well, those people that can't put their work down, how foolish are they? They can't leave the office. They can't stop working at 10 o'clock. They find value and meaning and worth in their identity. I'm way better than that. I worship Jesus, not my job. We can begin to miss the fact that we also are spoken to a lot in Scripture about our default sin as well, that the Bible has a lot to say about laziness and apathy and idleness and not fully stepping into the responsibilities that God has given us as well. And maybe this for you is your job. Maybe it's what you get paid for. Maybe it's your vocation. But maybe it's all the other responsibilities that God gives you as well. So maybe you work really hard at your job, but you don't work really hard at home. Maybe you work really hard at your job, but you don't work really hard at friendship. Maybe you work really hard at your job, but you don't really work that hard in your neighborhood. Whatever it may be, I want to speak to those of us tonight who struggle with being idle. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to look at what the Bible has to say to us, and then I'm going to give us some warnings to those of us who struggle with idleness, with laziness, with apathy, and then I'm going to end with a charge towards gospel ambition. So let's pick it up. 2 Thessalonians 3, we're going to start in verse 6. Paul writes, now we command you, brothers, 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who was walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. All right, pause right there. Let's talk about this idea of idleness. So idle, as it's defined in the scriptures, means someone who walks through life in an undisciplined or irresponsible way. The Bible will also use terms like a sluggard or someone who is slothful. In other words, idleness is forsaking the work you were given to do. So when a person consistently isn't taking care of the responsibilities or the stewardship that God has given them, the Bible calls that person idle. Now let me make something really clear. Idleness is different than rest. Idleness is different than rest. So rest in the scriptures is where you work hard and then you take an intentional amount of time to pull back and refrain from your work so that you are replenished and recharged to get back after it. You pull back, you refrain. Jesus himself invites us into this in Matthew 11. He says, come to me if you are weary and I will give you Rest. Rest and idleness are different. Idleness is when you regularly avoid and neglect responsibility. It's like you have an aversion to it. It's like you just can't get yourself to do it. Rest is stepping in and then pulling back. Idleness is not stepping in at all. The Bible is very clear. Rest is a good thing. Idleness is not. Paul tells this church, hey, if you have a brother in Christ who is walking in idleness, he says, keep away from them And then he contrasts idleness with walking in accord with the tradition they received from him. Well, then the question is, okay, Paul, what is that tradition? What is the tradition that we have received from you? Well, he tells us, verse 7, keep reading. He says, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So a little background, in case you're unfamiliar. Paul was a church planner. He would travel around with different missionary teams, going to a city. He would preach the good news of the gospel. People would become Christians. He'd baptize them, and then he'd form them together into a church. And he did this time and time again. You can read a lot of these stories in the book of Acts. Now, in some of the cities where Paul started churches, he received a salary from the offerings of those churches. We have examples where he says, hey, they collected an offering. They supported me in my ministry endeavor. But in other churches, Paul would not. He would work a second job. He would work what we would call a side hustle. He would make tents and provide for his ministry in that way. So it wasn't wrong for him to take a salary from the church's offerings, but in certain occasions, like here in Thessalonica, he didn't. And we think and we know that he didn't because throughout First and Second Thessalonians, Paul over and over and over again basically says two things. One, Jesus is going to return, and two, stop being lazy. That's like his two main things he says in these two books. And so he says, hey, I could have taken money from you, I had every right to as the one who brought the gospel to you. I had every right to receive financial support from you, but I didn't because I wanted to give you an example. I wanted to show you that it is a good thing to carry weight and responsibility on your shoulders. I want you to understand that it's a good thing to have weight. Paul thinks that a good amount of pressure to provide is good for us as humans to the point where he says, hey, if anyone's not willing to work, let him go hungry so that his hunger will drive himself to want to work. Now, let me make something really clear. Paul says willing to work, not able to work. 
an important distinction. So the Bible is full of examples where we care for and provide for those in need who are not able to work. Paul doesn't say able, he says willing. He's speaking to those of us who have every opportunity, every ability to step out and provide for ourselves. And he says, hey, if they're not willing to do that, let them go hungry. Let that drive them to provide. He's going to continue, verse 11. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. All right, let's talk about this word, busybody. It's like 1960s, right? Here in the text, to be a busybody means literally to waste one's labor. One lexicon defined it as this, to busy oneself about trifling, needless, and useless matters. Here's the idea with that. When people aren't stepping into their God-ordained work and responsibilities, they now have excess energy to burn. Let me say that again. When people aren't stepping into their God-ordained work and responsibilities, what God has put before them to steward, they're going to start spending their excess energy that they have on things that don't matter. And this is all over culture, and this is all over the church. Let me give you a few examples of what the Bible would call this misplaced energy. If you have not read the Bible this week, but you have streamed a television show, one television show, the Bible would call that idol. If you've not had an intentional spiritual conversation with your spouse, but you've checked your screen time, three hours on Instagram, an hour on TikTok, the Bible would call that idol. If you're more of an expert in your hobby than you are in your vocation, if people seek your advice on what movie to watch and not your advice at work, the Bible would say you're probably idol. If your sink at home has had a clog for a month, you haven't fixed it, and yet you've streamed every new episode of Fixer Upper, that is comedic, ironic idleness. If you haven't checked in on a member of your community group, if you haven't prayed for another brother or sister in Christ, and yet you're up to date on all the latest fashion trends, or Justin Bieber, or Taylor Swift album news, idle, misplaced energy. God, I see the stewardship that you have in front of me. I see the responsibilities you have given me in my job, in my home, the responsibilities, and yet we don't step into them, and so we have excess energy to burn, and we put it on a bunch of things that don't matter. And here's the thing. It's still expended energy, so you're still going to feel tired. You're still going to feel busy. Oh, I'm really busy this week. Check, check how your calendar was, though. I do this all of the time. Let's finish out and then I'll summarize. Verse 12. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. So that's Paul's charge for the idol. We'll come back to it at the end. Verse 14. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Let me try to summarize what's all happening here in this passage with what I hope is a helpful chart. If you like charts, this is going to be helpful. If you don't, it's still going to be helpful, I promise. You have a certain amount of energy and capacity given to you by God. This is you. This chart represents you. You have a certain amount of energy and capacity given to you by God. You also have responsibilities and stewardship given to you as well. So for some of you, that's a family. For, all, for a lot of us, that's a job, that's friendships, that's community, that's different things that God has given you to steward, different responsibilities. So your responsibilities should match your energy. Now here's what that means. It is okay, and I would argue biblically, a good thing to be tired. Let me say that again. It is a biblically good thing to be tired. Now, your culture is going to lie to you and tell you that's not true. Tired is the enemy. 
Tired is the thing to avoid. Tired is what you're, if you're not having good balance, then you're, you're tired. Tired is that thing where it's like, man, I just, I don't want that. Whatever I can do to set up my life to where I'm not tired. We've co-opted this idea of balance, and we think balance means that if I have a balanced life, that means I'm going to float around totally restful all of the time. And that's just not, one, possible, and two, biblical. It's a good thing to be tired. It's a good thing to have responsibilities to pour yourself out for. How do I know that? The life of Jesus, right? Jesus, who was deeply restful and yet poured himself out, labored, willingly, constantly got interrupted by needs around him, poured himself out on the cross on our behalf. It's a good thing to be tired. That means you have responsibilities that you have given your energy towards. But here's what happens. We don't like that. We want to push against that, and so what we do is what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3. We are, not, not that we're not able to work, but rather we're not willing to work, and so our responsibilities stop matching our energy. We have all this energy, we have this capacity given to us by God, but because we push back against that in our sinful nature and tendencies, we don't step in to the work God has given us. Our responsibilities are lower than our energy, but we still have excess energy to burn. We still have something inside of us that wants to go somewhere, and so the Bible says what we do with that is that we're idle. We become busybodies. We give ourselves to idleness. We have all of this excess energy not going towards good Godward responsibility, and so instead we give it to things that don't matter. And this church is a dangerous place to be. Now we joke about it. We make fun of it. We laugh about it. Someone asks us, hey, what'd you do this weekend? And you're like, man, I woke up at 10 a.m. on a Saturday, and I turned on Netflix, and then next thing I knew it was 10 o'clock, and I was going to bed. <laughs> and we all have a good chuckle. Hey, what, what you got coming up this weekend? Oh, I'm so excited. I don't have anything on the calendar. I'm just going to sit back and do Nothing. Idleness is a joke. It's the goal. It's what we set up our lives around. And listen, I'm not talking about good Godward rest. I'm not talking about you've been grinding for weeks and weeks and weeks and you finally get a chance to pull back and spend time with friends, family, the Lord, rejuvenation and rest. I'm talking about that constant, hey, this is the goal. The goal in my life is to do nothing. But idleness is not the goal. And idleness is not a joke. Idleness is dangerous. It's dangerous. And the Bible warns us over and over and over again. And Paul says here, 2 Thessalonians 3.15, if someone is walking in idleness, don't, he says, don't treat him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So I want to do, because I love you and because I care about you and because I care about our church, I want to give us some warnings real quick about the dangers of idleness. Four, there's four dangers. We're going to roll through them real quickly from the scriptures. Four dangers that your idleness could lead to. Danger number one, physical provision or rather lack thereof, lack of physical provision. The Bible's full of examples of this. I'll give you a couple from Proverbs. Proverbs 4, 14, 23 says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk lends only to poverty. Proverbs 10, 4, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now here's what I'm not saying, and here's what the Bible is not saying. The Bible is not saying work hard and God's going to line your pockets. It's a false theology called prosperity theology. It's heresy. We don't believe it. What the Bible is also not saying is that if you're poor, it's because you're lazy. There are a lot of reasons why people struggle to make ends meet. There are a lot of factors that go into why people struggle, why they live paycheck to paycheck, why they barely get by. So I'm not saying if you work hard, God's going to make you rich, and if you're poor, it's because you're lazy. That's not what the Bible is saying. But 
Here in Proverbs and 12 other times and throughout the scriptures, there does seem to be a correlation between working hard and the ability to provide for ourselves and our families and other brothers and sisters in Christ that are in need. That's the first danger, the danger of physical provision. Second danger is not physical, it's spiritual. There's a spiritual temptation, there's a spiritual danger. When you take our unused energy you add in our sin nature, you add in the world, you add in the flesh, you add in the devil, that's a recipe for disaster because we have to give our energy away. When we don't give our energy to the right things, we're never going to be going to give it to the wrong things. So I remember uh, growing up, especially during the summers, I had two older brothers that were a few years older than me, and uh, we lived out kind of in the woods a little bit, Aiken, South Carolina, shout out. And uh, we would constantly throughout the summer, especially when I was in like the late elementary years, there would be this refrain that we would say to my mom probably every other day. We would say, mom, I'm bored. Especially me, I was a really bratty kid. And so all the time I was just like, mom, I'm bored. Ah. And my mom would always be like, well, you want to go back to school? And he'd be like, no, school's worse. I'd rather be bored than at school. But my mom would always say this, this cliche kind of saying to me whenever I came to her as a little six-year-old me, I would say, Mom, I'm bored. And she would always say this. She would say, well, you better find something to do because idle hands are the devil's playthings. Which is a terrifying thing to say to a six-year-old. <laughs> right? Can you imagine being six and somebody being like, idle hands are the devil's playthings? And you're like, ah, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm six. Ah. I looked up the quote because I was like, surely it's not only my mom. She's, not, she's smart, but she's not that smart. So who said this? So I looked it all the way back. I love you, mom. She listens to these. Uh, 1400s, a guy by the name of Geoffrey Chaucer. He was a poet, author, novelist, all of that. And he was originally quoted as saying a version of that, saying, the devil finds work for idle hands. Cheesy, terrifying, but True. True. Right? When you have unused energy that you're not giving away to the stewardship God has placed in front of you, you have to give that energy to something. And I don't know about you, but I'm way too sinful, and it usually goes towards things it shouldn't go to. A really clear example of this from Scripture is King David. Right? King David is the second king of the Jewish people. And there's one of his most famous, terrible stories. If you don't know it, there's a scene in the Bible, 2 Samuel 11, where David is out on his rooftop. He's walking around. He looks down onto another roof, and he sees a woman named Bathsheba who's, who's bathing, and he lusts after her, and he uses his power to go after her and exploit her. They end up sleeping together, having an affair. She gets pregnant, and then David, in order to cover it up, actually has her husband killed in battle. You know how that story starts, though? 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. Look at it. It'll be on the screen. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. Notice this, but David remained at Jerusalem. David's at home. He doesn't go to war. At a time when all the other kings should go to war, and David as king should go to war fighting, stepping into his responsibilities as king to lead his people into battle. He's at home. He abdicated his responsibility. He gave it up. He's not stepping into it, and it leads to trouble. It leads to ruin, it leads to death, it leads to destruction. Now the point here is not to say that if you're not stepping into all your responsibilities, that it's going to lead to an affair and murder. That's not what I'm saying, but it will lead to some pretty destructive things. So ask yourself, hey, if there's a sin issue that you keep fighting, you keep struggling with, you keep pushing back against, ask yourself, look, look for the pattern. Hey, does this come after I have unused energy? 
Do I go after this when I have energy to burn because I'm not giving myself? Hey, does a lazy week at work correspond to disobeying Jesus in the weekend? It's worth a question to ask. It's not only dangerous to you, it's also dangerous to our church. Look at a few more. It's dangerous to church unity. I don't know if this is dangerous to church unity. Paul addresses it here directly, 2 Thessalonians 3.11. He says that we hear that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. You can translate that word busybody here as meddling. Being a busybody is when you meddle, it's when you interfere or get preoccupied in the lives of others. So in other words, you have excess energy to burn, and so you get way too involved in the lives of other people, which apparently was a problem in the church way before social media. Meddle. Hey, I'm not, I'm not giving myself to my work. I'm not giving myself to what make, should make me busy, and so I'm busy interfering in the lives of everybody else. Hey, did you hear about? Hey, did you see so-and-so? Hey, did you hear what they said? Hey, did you know that? Did you know they're dating? You know that? Did you know, like, all that. Here's another way you can say it. When we don't spend our energy handling our business, we start meddling in everyone else's. Or you can say it this way. When we're not fighting the right things, we're going to start fighting each other. But when you're nose down, you're getting after it, you're going for it at work, you're pouring yourself out for the kingdom of God, for your family, for your vocation, for your labor. Listen, you know, you don't have time for the he said, she said nonsense. You just don't have time because you're pouring yourself out to what is good. I remember reading an article a few years ago about the rise of reality television, which personally, I like reality television, so I'm talking to myself here. And the person that was writing the article was corresponding boredom rates in America with the rise of reality television. And they were arguing for the case that when we get more and more bored with our lives, when we're not stepping into good things, when we're not having enough excitement, then we have to get busy dealing in everybody else's stuff and their drama, people that we're never going to meet that live on the other side of the country. Listen, when you aren't pouring yourself out to your work and what God has put in front of you, you're going to get busy in everybody else's. It's going to affect, it's a danger to our church unity, going after this thing together. The fourth danger is gospel witness. I'll do this quick. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. 10 through 12, the other letter to this church, Paul says, we urge you brothers to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you. Notice verse 12, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Think about a workplace that has terrible work culture. Or like maybe your friend works there, maybe you work there. Nobody works hard. Everybody gossips. Everybody hates their job. It's just a bad place to work. Who does that reflect poorly on? The manager right? The CEO, the boss, how the the people, the employees work always says something about the person in charge. The same is true as a Christian because we believe, we talked about this weeks one and two, that where you are, God has put you. That your job is a commission and a calling from him. And so how you work in that job says something about the God you claim to worship. Hey, I'm a Christian. I believe God has placed me here. And then your work ethic doesn't match it. It's a danger to our gospel witness. All right, so this is where we're at. If our responsibilities aren't matching our energy and we're pressed towards idleness, what do we do? What do we do? Let's let's look back one more time, 2 Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13. Paul writes, Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. The answer for idleness is to not grow weary in doing good a.k.a. we need redemptive gospel ambition. We need redemptive gospel ambition. 
We need to give ourselves to work that matters. We need to pour ourselves out to the responsibilities God has in front of us. We need gospel urgency where we go after it. We wake up each day going, God, whatever you put in front of me, that's what you have for me, and I'm going to pour myself out to all of the responsibilities that you have given me energy and power through your Holy Spirit to steward and to care for and to pour myself into. We need to labor hard. We need to labor well when we don't like it when it's hard, when it's frustrating, when it's boring, when we're apathetic. We're called to not grow weary. When your job is frustrating, don't grow weary. When your kids are frustrating, don't grow weary. When being on mission in your neighborhood is exhausting, don't grow weary. So what does this look like? Real quick, what does gospel ambition look like? I think it looks like a couple different things. Here's a few of them. First, I think it can look like vocational development. Hey, I got excess energy to burn above my responsibilities. Great, learn a new skill. Pour yourself into your job. Take on a side project. Make yourself the best coworker, the best employee at your company. Listen, we believe what we've been saying all series. You are meant to partner with God to take the world somewhere. Step into it. Step in. Push yourself. Go after what God has for you. The second thing is spiritual growth. Hey, I got excess energy. What do I do? Read your Bible more. That sounds too simple. Great. Pray more. Do the basic things of the Christian faith, the basic things of walking with Jesus. Put that energy that you have, that you feel like you have excess of, to grow in your knowledge and love for the Lord, to read big books written hundreds of years ago, to have to pour into Christian friends, to say, hey, I don't think my group time is enough. I want more. Great. Call a friend. Go to lunch. Encourage them. Pray for them. Build with them and for the sake of the gospel. Third thing is kingdom work. God intends to work through you to bless those around you. He he wants to work through you to bring healing, to reconcile people to himself and to one another, to see broken people restored, children raised and trained in the faith, to see the world find the hope of the gospel. Pour yourself into kingdom work. I got excess energy. Great. Send me an email. We got lots to do. And then lastly, rest and leisure. Get some hobbies. Okay to be a human. I like mine. Maybe you have too much. That's another story. Step into your hobbies. Rest well. You need renewed, redeemed gospel ambition. Let me end with this. Sometimes life is really, really hard. Let's be honest. Sometimes life is really hard. Like, sometimes it's all you can do to get through the day. Sometimes you feel like a failure. Sometimes I feel like a failure. And it's a lot easier in those moments, 7 o'clock at night, when you're like, man, I was just barely making it. I had the 2 o'clock coffee and the 4 o'clock coffee and the 5.30 coffee. And it's way easier in those moments to sit on the couch and just turn on the TV because at least you can't fail at that. Everything is always harder to get done than you think it would. You ever think about that in life? Like, everything's just harder. We're running to the store. It's just more difficult. Everything's more difficult than you think it's going to be. And here's what you don't need. If you're there, if you're struggling with like, yeah, I work to live. I'm idle. I'm apathetic. I don't want to pour myself into my job. Here's what you don't need from me. You don't need me to go, hey, I know you're idle. Stop it. It's not helpful, right? It's not helpful if you sit down with a friend and you're like, I'm really apathetic towards my job. If they're like, well, have you thought about not being apathetic towards your job? Stop, I uh, quit. I was having a meeting, this is off topic. I was having a meeting with a couple in our church and I was trying to just encourage them of how God has gifted them and all of that. And at one point I realized I was like not actually being helpful and so I just started saying courage a bunch and it became a funny joke because they're gracious and kind. Um, But it doesn't work, right? I can't just be like, hey, idol, stop, stop. Like it doesn't work. We need something more. We need the good news of Jesus. We need need the gospel. What we need is that where we are weak, Jesus is strong. 
that where we are apathetic, Jesus is faithful. That where we are idle, Jesus pours himself out. When we are beating ourselves on our back for all our inability and all our lack of desire, that Jesus is kind, he's gracious to us. What we also need to do is we need to remember and be refreshed in the fact that the most important work is already done. As Cole reminded us last week, it's the same reminder for tonight, that we work not for meaning, not for validation, not for approval, not for significance, not for forgiveness, but rather from. We work from meaning. We work from approval. We work from validation. All of it given to us through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So don't misapply what we said last week. Don't misapply in here, all right, my job needs to not be my God, so my job doesn't matter. That's not true. That's not correct. That's not what we said. Your job matters in the kingdom of God. But if your identity is secure in Christ, it doesn't mean your job doesn't matter. It actually means your job matters a lot. It actually means you're freed up in the gospel to go for it. It actually means if you actually are remembering, okay, in Christ, through faith in him, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, I am approved of, I am forgiven, I am washed clean, I am made new, I am welcomed into the family of God, regardless of what my job is or how I do at it. That shouldn't make you work less hard, and it should actually make you work more hard. It should make you step into it even more. Here's how James K. Smith says it. I think it's so helpful. He says, resting in the love of God doesn't squelch ambition, it fuels it with a different fire. I don't have to strive to get God to love me. Rather, because God loves me unconditionally, I'm free to take risks and launch out into the deep. I'm released to aspire to use my gifts in gratitude, caught up in God's mission for the sake of the world. And then notice this crazy good line. When you've been found, you're free to fail. I really want to go back to school. I really want to get my master's. I really want to step into this new career path. I'm just really afraid. What if I'm not good at it? What if I'm not, what if I don't get the right grades? What if I don't get a job? Listen, when you're found, you're free to fail. I don't know how to discipline my kids right now. They're getting at that age where I feel like I need to step into it, but I'm not sure. And what if I'm doing it wrong? And what if I mess them up? Listen, when you're found, you're free to fail. I really want that promotion at work. I see that job opportunity. I see it's there, but I'm just really afraid for going to go for it because what if they reject me and what if they say, hey, you're not actually working that hard or you're not qualified? What's that gonna say about my identity? Listen, when you're found, you're free to fail. I really wanna plant a church on the east side of Charlotte and I feel like that's what the Lord's calling us to do, but I'm really scared and I'm really afraid and what if nobody cares? When I'm found, free to fail. Whatever that applies into your job, whatever that applies into your vocation, when you are found by the faithful, never denying blood of Jesus, you are free to fail. And so what that means is that your work doesn't determine your worth, but because your worth is determined by the cross, you're freed up to work and to work hard at whatever it is God has called you to do right now. That's what we remember every time we gather together. We take communion, you got a little cup on your seat, a little piece of bread and a little juice We remember every time we gather, we remember the body and blood of Jesus given for us, that all who trust in him, all who put our faith in Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins and life forever with God. If you're not a Christian, this is one of the only things we'd ask you not to do, to actually not take communion. It's not because we don't love you. It's not because we don't want you to participate with us. We'd want you to take Jesus rather than taking communion. If you take communion, you're simply saying something that is true about you that's just not yet, but rather rather than take communion, we invite you to take Christ.
In just a minute, we're going to respond. We're going to have some folks in the back who would love to pray for you, who would love to pray about anything going on in your life, anything you need to talk about, pray about. They're going to be back there. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. And then you can take communion when you're ready. Let's pray together. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for the fact that you have summoned us. You have called us into all these different vocations. Even thinking back to Genesis 1 and 2, thinking back to Revelation, thinking about all the stuff we've talked about week one, God, that, that our jobs, our labors, whatever they may be, are a summons from our king. And I know that for many of us, our jobs are frustrating, they're tiring. For some of us, we're just bored. We feel like we have all this excess energy, God, and we're pulled by the world, we're pulled by our flesh, we're pulled by our enemy, the devil, to give it to things that don't matter, to give it to things that are trivial, to give it to things that are destructive to ourselves, our walk with you, or our relationships to each other, our gospel witness, all of that, Lord. But I pray against a spirit of idleness. I pray that you will help us step into our work. Will you help us have a redeemed gospel ambition? Lord, I pray that a month from now, two months from now, six months from now, that our church would be gripped by a vision for our work such that if somebody wants to hire somebody in Charlotte, they're like, give me somebody from Citizens Church because I know they can work hard with the best employees. We don't want to be a church that in light of our gospel identity, don't work hard. We want to be a church that in light of our gospel identity, we work harder than everybody else knowing that we're freed to fail because we are found. God, would you root the gospel deep in our lives? Would you root the love of Christ deep in our lives? Would you help us to boast in the cross, to put that in front of us, God, that we, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, his blood shed, his body given, we are free that all who trust in you are forgiven, we're found, and we're caught up into your family and kingdom forever. God, we love you. We're grateful for you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.